0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life.
1: Nine years ago, um, God called our family uh, to be sent out of our church, Summit Church, uh, which we loved being on staff there. We loved being a part of the church there. Uh, we were a part of planting their campuses. We helped plant the Naples campus and the Gateway campus. Uh, and we were sent out to see a new church form here in Fort Myers. And as the church grew, God uh, gave us um, leadership from within. So there were men within our congregation that that raised up, and we were able to lay hands on them as elders and after we did that, so uh, we, we had borrowed leadership from Summit, and they were overseeing our church, uh, and then we raised up our own elders. There was a season where we were trying to figure out what it looks like to be a church uh, as, a, as a kind of an infant church growing up. You guys know babies, right? So think about like a two, three, four-year-old. We were a church that was two, three, four years old trying to figure out how to have leadership within our church, and there was a point where I was like, all right, We need some help, and so I have uh, a connection with with a a man who is on staff at Summit uh, named Dave Harvey, and uh, so I called up Dave, and I'm like, hey, I think you know a little bit about um, church leadership. I said, can we grab lunch? So he's like, absolutely, so we went and met for lunch, and uh, as I was pressing some questions in on it, he's like, oh, yeah, I wrote a book about that. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you do know something about this stuff. And so uh, he gave me this book, um, and the plurality principle talks about the plurality of leadership. And throughout that lunch, he just started encouraging my heart and my mind and really helping me know that we weren't alone, that that this has happened before, um, and that we needed help. And so that started the process of us joining what is called the great Commission Collective, Um, and that is a church planting organization that plants churches and strengthens leaders. And so it was in that next month that Dave was like, hey, I know you're not a part of the network, but we have this lead pastor and wife retreat, and we'd like to invite you to be our guest. And so Lauren and I went, and our hearts were filled, and we met with other pastors from around the United States that have the same mission and vision that we do. To love God, love others, and make disciples, and to see churches planted, and to see healthy leaders raise up from within. And so uh, Dave has been such an encouragement to my heart. He is a mentor. He is a friend. Um, You can actually go, he has a website, uh, revdaveharvey.com, R-E-V, daveharvey.com. And you can actually sign up for uh, weekly encouragements from him. Uh, I do this with a pastor called uh, Paul David Tripp. Um, I don't know if you know who Paul Tripp is. Uh, He's good friends with Dave. Um, and Rev. Dave Harvey, and I get their emails, and these are just ways for us to uh, be encouraged throughout the week with different words um, that God has placed on their hearts. And so um, I really would like for you to welcome, as our church family, someone who is a partner, a friend, and a family member, uh, Dave Harvey. So thank you.
0: Okay, so uh, I was very excited when Bill extended this invitation to be here, first because I, I love coming to this church, and I, I look forward to every opportunity. Uh, we just live right down in Estero, which means that Kim and I and Jace can, can come and enjoy the morning with you. So, it was, it was the opportunity to be with you, it was the opportunity to be with this guy who I can't begin to describe the affection that I feel for this man, and the respect that I have for this man. But equally important, thirdly, it was the opportunity that I was going to have to embarrass him by letting all of you know that today is his 40th birthday. So, happy birthday, my friend. (laughs) Happy birthday. We are all deeply grateful to God for the day you were born. God bless you. (laughs) So, I've been asked by Bill to to teach in the context of the series that you're in on forgiven failures, and we're going to do that from Romans chapter 4. So, if you want to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, this morning's message is titled, Faith for barren times faith for barren times and I'm going to read beginning in verse 18 through verse 21 in hope he by the way that's talking about Abraham in hope he believed Against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness. Of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning grow more confident in you, more confident in your promises, that we too would live not only cherishing them, but growing in faith towards you and believing and becoming fully convinced that you can do what you have promised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He had already lived 75 years. That's three quarters of a century. His name, Abram, literally meant exalted father, a rather stabbing irony for a man with no kids. But he was wealthy, healthy, happy, and surrounded by extended family when one day God interrupts his settled existence with an almost incomprehensible command. God says to him, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make a great nation of you. Imagine that. A great nation springing from an old man with no kids. How does that work? But scripture says Abram obeyed. He uprooted his family, which at that point included nephew, servants, livestock, possessions. And he went forth, as Hebrews chapter 11 records, not knowing where he was going. And as he journeyed, he waited each week. Each month, each year, he waited. He waited for the promise to be fulfilled. Several years later, God kind of drops by in a vision. You know, Abram is in this anguished state. He's he's still childless. There's still no heir to the promise. I just imagine him thinking, like, like, great nation? What's this business about great nation? All I have is a nephew. I don't even like him that much. Oh, I got some sheep. I, how, about a good, how about a good neighborhood, Lord? How about, how about some beachfront property? Where is this great nation stuff coming from? And God took him outside and bid him to look up At the stars and to begin to number the stars and then God spoke these eternal words so shall your offspring be and scripture says Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness now that's quite a story And you almost expect it to end there. You almost expect it to wrap up there with Abram encountering God in a profound way and God reaffirming his promise because it's so tight. It's so neat. It just ties a nice bow on the whole thing. But all of that came before what I like to think about as the long wait in Abram's life. The well, first couple of years weren't so bad, but you know, after seven or eight years, years, the memories grow dull. I could just imagine him thinking, "Did did all that really happen? Did God really come? Did he? Did God really speak to me?" I mean, years are passing. Sarai, his wife, is still barren. Abram is just aging. At year ten, let's just say mistakes were made. I mean, Sarai has to know, is it him or is it me? I want to know. So she pushes Hagar upon him so that he sleeps with her. Abram capitulates. Ishmael is conceived. Arab history begins. But Ishmael is not the promised one. Another 14 years pass. In fact, God returns and reaffirms his promise and changes his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. Abraham is now 99, Sarah's name has been changed to Sarah, and, and she has been through menopause, and she only has one child, but that one child is not her child. That one child is not the promised child. How long will they wait? One year later, 25 years after the promise, Isaac is born. Now, that's the story behind Romans chapter 4. In fact, if you look at it in the context of Romans, in in the early chapters of Romans, Paul, the apostle Paul, is trying to build a... A case for a righteousness that comes through faith alone. And it's here in chapter 4 that Paul, Paul introduces the strongest and most stunning piece of evidence that he's able to set forth for the position that he's advocating. What he does is he takes Abraham, the father, Abraham, the beginning of the Jewish lineage, and he offers him as exhibit A of saving faith. But here's the thing, while chapter 4 is certainly about the faith that saves, it's certainly about the faith that justifies, we are instructed in chapter 4 about the nature of faith itself. Because the faith that justifies also portrays the faith that pleases God. The faith that justifies also portrays the faith that helps us to wait for the promises of God, that helps us to persevere during the long waits in our life as we wait for God to act. So we've got to understand Abraham's faith and what's being said in this passage here. And what I want to do with you is I want to divide Abraham's faith into three different parts. We're We're going to dissect it together into three different parts, beginning with part one, believing the promise. So this is verse 18 again, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham had been told something by God. He had been told, you're gonna become a father, you will have a son. And what we learn here about faith is that faith responds by investing trust in God's words and standing on those promises as if it is a guaranteed future reality. It's something that will happen in the future that we just have not walked into yet, and we stand confident that it is out there and that it awaits us. And, and this is not just something for Abraham. This is something for all of us, because if you're anything like me, I mean, you're, you know, you're tempted to say, well, yeah, I mean, if, if God came to me in a vision and kind of chatted with me about my future, I think I could believe as well, as if true faith rests upon a supernatural visitation from an angel or a supernatural visitation with god the, see the problem in scripture when it comes to the, all the supernatural things that happen, the problem has always been that memories fade, and so the the, the Israelites could walk through on dry ground with the Red Sea on both sides of them and be complaining within days can be forgetting within days because memories fade they faded for Israel they faded for the kings they faded for the prophets they uh, what well, they, they certainly they certainly fade for me yeah, Kim and I are in a, in a in a small group not not all that long ago we had a a wedding anniversary coming up. It was just a few days away. So we're in the small group, and the small group leader, knowing that our anniversary comes up, is coming up, says to, to, to us, Dave, Kim, tell us about a memory from your wedding day. And now, I, I'm completely caught off guard by, by the question, and then I kind of orient to the question. I'm thinking, okay, well, that's a that's a, that's a good question, and so I'm, I'm sitting there, and everybody's looking at me, and I'm looking at all of them and I'm, and I'm trying to, like, like, boot up that file, and I'm getting nothing. I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, what were the memories of the wedding day, and I'm beginning to, like, I'm beginning to sweat because I'm getting nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm looking over at Kim. You know, how, when you're married, you know how you, you kind of have conversations, but you don't really have to speak. You just speak with your eyes, and, 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 I, and I'm saying with my eyes, dear, do you have anything? And she's saying, I got nothing here. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking this is, this is not the most monumental day of my life apart from conversion and I'm frantically searching the database and I'm getting nothing I'm looking down at my hand I got a ring on my finger I know I was married but for some reason there's a big gap between that day and this small group that I'm sitting in here's my point Abraham didn't stand on the memory of an experience God spoke, and he believed, and he drove his stake of confidence into what God had said. Now listen, for us, the promises of God are contained and preserved within our Bible. So if, if, if we're not working our Bibles, it's impossible to grow in faith. If you're not working your Bible, it's impossible to grow in faith. I think about Romans chapter 10. So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The Word of God, the Word of Christ. That's right. So, you know, we, we all have the same challenges. We all have the same blessings. We all have the same challenges. We, you know, maybe, maybe for you, you see verses where God promises to hear prayer. And yet, when you pray, it, it, the heavens feel like brass. There's just nothing getting through, you don't feel like you're engaging God in a meaningful way, or, or you read places in the Bible where God has promises for marriage or promises for kids. And that's just not your experience right now. Your experience doesn't match that whatsoever. And, and you, feel, you feel in your soul like, like the creep of cynicism collecting within your soul. That, that, that sense of, oh, I know this happens. I know God does it. I hear people talk on Sunday morning. I've re- I read it in books. I recognize God moves this way. But that will never happen for me you see what faith does is faith tells us to let scripture be louder than those voices in our mind faith from the word of God is what it looks like is it it says to us let the promises of God speak You see, the challenge today is that to be alive today is to have voices speaking. Our fears speak. Our circumstances speak. Our suffering speaks. Our fatigue speaks. faith, Faith trusts what God says about our future more than what those voices say in the present. Faith trusts what God says about our future more than what those voices are saying in the present. So the question that you and I need to ask this morning is, what voices do we listen to the most? And here's the thing, Abraham had to wrestle with that. Abraham had to answer that. It says he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham eventually rested in a kind of settled conviction. Why? Because God said it. It was God's word and God's word alone. I brought a great quote with me this morning by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, quote, there is always this naked element in faith, it does not ask for proofs. It does not seek them. In a sense, it does not need them. Faith is content with the bare word of God. Every, every time I read that, I get convicted by that because there are so many times I'm not content with the bare word of God. Faith is content with the bare word of God which another, is another way to say believing the promises. So that's the first part of, of Abraham's faith. Now we move on to part two. Embracing the circumstances. Embracing the circumstances. Listen to these words in verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's, of Sarah's womb. I, I mean, honestly, I have to tell you this. What I love about this passage is how it links faith to reality. To reality. In other words, there, there's no denial about how bad the situation really is. There, there, there's no denial over how, how stacked up everything seems to be against Abraham and Sarah having a child. There's no dumping of the evidence. There's no spin control. There's no attempt to avoid the raw truth because the raw truth might, what, reinforce negative thoughts? I mean, I mean you run in the same world I do. I'm sure there is a, there's like a body of faith teaching that exists within the relatively evangelical church that insists that voicing the reality of a situation is actually empowering the problem. Or voicing the reality of how bad a situation really is, is actually emboldening the enemy. And it makes, it makes Christians appear sometimes, you know, and I want to say this delicately, delicately like lunatics. It makes us appear like like lunatics, you know. No, I don't have an ulcer. I just appear to be throwing up blood here. You know, like we have to deny the reality of how bad something is in order to appear like we have faith towards God, denying reality in the name of faith. And against that backdrop, isn't this a refreshing passage? I mean, really, he, he didn't weaken faith when he considered it his own body, which was as good as dead, because he's about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of—so Sarah. Abraham is considering the circumstances. He's walking around the problem. He's getting a, a true sense of how bad things really are. He's looking at the reality, and the results just aren't pretty. Abraham says, I look in the mirror every day, and I look at my body, and it's as good as dead. Now, because he's a guy, he's saying, well, it's a very hip, very cool kind of dead. You know, it's better than any other hundred-year-old kind of dead. But it's dead. I look at Sarah, my wife, and I love her, and, and, and she's gorgeous, and, but she's barren. Not just potentially barren, she's barren. She's a gorgeous, barren wife. See, don't miss what this section is meant to communicate. This is what this section is meant to communicate. You look at Abraham, it's impossible. You look at Sarah, it's incomprehensible. Everywhere you look is dead. There's no seed, no hope, no way, no life. See if you can relate to this. It's almost as if the circumstances around that situation... Speak as a jury. They've come back into the room, and they have rendered their verdict, and the verdict is impossible. It's impossible for this to happen. Do you realize what this means for your situation? Because right now, as I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit has his own message in your mind, and he's bringing things up on your mental screen and making applications. Do you realize what this passage means for that situation Abraham believed when there was no life. When there was no life, he still believed. Do you have any areas like that? Any areas where you are burdened by an absence of life? Where when you're, like Abraham, honestly assessing the situation, the circumstances just reveal barrenness barrenness. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe, maybe you've been praying for this person for years, and you love them, and you care for them, and you're burdened for them. But honestly, to, take, to assess where things are as of this very moment, there's no change, no interest, no life. Or maybe you bear this affliction, whatever it is. You woke up with it again this morning. It's, 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 it's a weakness. It's a sickness. It's, and you've cried out to God. And yet, honestly, you answer the question today. You say, yeah, there's no healing, no strength, no change, no life. Or you look at your child. You look at your adult child, perhaps, and you think, they have been given so much by God and yet, they are bearing so little fruit for God. There is no zeal, no heart, no interest, no life. All around me is barrenness. Who can relate to that? God says, Abraham can relate to that. And not just for a couple of years. You know, you, you, you pastor long enough and you sit across from enough people, and you get a sense that trials and tribulations can kind of come in two, three, four-year clusters, and that's how things kind of roll in people's lives. 25 years. In fact, (laughs) God intentionally waited until it was too late. Because you know, like, what is being said here? The, if you think about this. The problem is not just barrenness, but it's Abraham's age. It's not just the the absence of life, but what's being conveyed in this text here is, is it's the utter inability to produce life, the utter inability to de- produce. He did He did not. <coughs> He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. As, as good as, so, um, yeah, you know, um, here's my challenge. I, I want to keep this message rated PG. So, let me just say it this way. Um, at the end of Abraham and Sarah's date night, it did not end the way it used to end when they were much younger. Dead. dead she's barren he's dead that's the context do do, do you see what's being said here because it's all their intention this passage begins with in hope they believed against hope because God brought them to a place where it was evident to them and everyone else if there's any change in this situation it's going to be way beyond man It's not going to be something that men or women are going to be able to produce. The best leadership, the best thinking, the best technology could not spark change in this situation. If there's going to be any change whatsoever, there has to be some kind of outside supernatural intervention from God. It's something that must come from God and God alone. And in that area... That you're thinking about I don't know that I'll ever understand in this life why God holds certain things off to the side and makes it so that if there's going to be any change in that area it's something that must come from God and God alone but he does that because he wants to grow our faith so it's believing the promise it's, it's embracing the circumstances. And then finally, it's sustaining the trust. Sustaining the trust. So verse 20 talks a little bit more about how this transformation took place. It says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So, here's the thing I want you to see in this, is that Abraham ultimately believed long before his circumstances had changed. See, this is, this is where this passage goes to a remarkable place. The, the point of this passage is that Abraham met God, in barrenness. Abraham learned faith in barrenness. And honestly, this is so provoking for me, because oftentimes my, my own faith only sparks when I see some hopeful sign in the circumstances. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know we're, we're struggling with unbelief in some area, maybe it's about around someone, and, and yet then we see some small change in them maybe it's somebody you love that's been drifting from god or they've gone prodigal and that one day out of the blue you get the text please pray for me and we're like this is amazing this god is on the move this is incredible god is real god is amazing because the trigger for our faith is perceived change in the circumstances our faith is not in the promise of god And so, we're constantly orienting to our circumstances and not toward God. We're constantly doing this horizontal thing rather than this vertical thing. And one of the things God did with Abraham is he left him in circumstances that did not change, and he taught him faith towards God. He met God in barrenness. This was Abraham's path in barrenness. The the passage lays it out. The passage defines it completely. This is what it says. He grew strong in his faith. By the way, it does not say he started strong in his faith. He grew strong. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I have little faith, well, you're in good company. Not only can I relate to you, but Abraham can relate to you as well. He grew strong in his faith Listen to this, as he gave glory to God. Okay, so does this seem counterintuitive or what? Nothing about his circumstances have changed. Sarah's still barren. Abram is just aging, but somehow he comes to a place in his life where he realizes though the circumstances haven't changed, God is still God. His promises are still good. So even though my life is exactly the same, even though my pain is exactly the same, even though my relation to the world is exactly the same, I'm going to give glory to God. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Do you see what's happening here? Abraham's circumstances didn't change, but his faith did. His faith revealed a sustained trust. Have you ever noticed that God fixes a a pain and a promise in our life at the same time? and he allows that pain to play out over a long period of time. You ever noticed that? I mean, that, that's, that's Abram's story. Again, he was born and, and given the name Abram, which means exalted father. I mean, if that didn't create expectations, I don't know what did. I, and I'm sure as a kid, that was a, a source of, of pride, a kind of proclamation of a, of a prodigious future. This is a guy who expected to have tons of kids, strapping boys, and and dainty girls, and and a huge family. And Abram takes his bride, (coughs) excuse me. Abram takes his bride, and they start their life together, and the kids don't come. Week after week, month after month, kids don't come. Facebook profile reads, exalted father, still no kids. Kids don't come. I mean, undoubtedly in a room this size, there are people that can relate to that experience. You can relate to the pain, the disappointment, the, the monthly demoralizing morass of wanting but not having kids. You, you, you understand what it's like to attend the to, to, to family event and have some people just ask the question directly, others just walk up with a hopeful expectation and leading questions that will, that will, that will pull out of you the update that they desire. You know what it's like to celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day, but not really celebrate. I mean, you're happy because other people, you're happy the people you love enjoy and experience that, but but it's also a day where you have to get your heart right and seek God. You know what it's like to be in the small group when a, a new mom is beaming because she's just announced that she's pregnant. And you have to. You have to kind of position yourself and and, and create a way of moving forward. So you know what this is talking about. You know, eventually, these are powerful feelings. Like for Sarah, eventually this would become so bad for Sarah that Sarah pushes her husband into the arms of another woman, perhaps even out of the bitterness of wanting to know who's at fault here. Let's see who lacks life. You go into her. We're going to see if it's you or if it's me, but I want to know. I want to know what the problem is here. Oh, sure, there was a promise, but it took 25 years. Toward the end, at year 24, all they had was Ishmael. In fact, God had changed his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. All he had at that point was the son of a slave and a promise He's being upgraded, but his experience isn't changing at all. But here's the thing, ultimately ultimately it created a work that was so deep, and a confidence that was so deep that once he received that promised child, he was willing out of trust in God to sacrifice Isaac before the angel stayed his hand, trusting that God would raise him from the dead and ultimately foreshadowing another son where the stroke of death was not stayed, who received in his body the punishment, not that he deserved, but that we deserved. He was offered up as a living sacrifice for our sins, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And, and, and here's the thing. The issue here is not just with the, the passing of time, like, like the point here isn't oh, just, just wait. Just wait and God will deliver on all your dreams. You know, Just wait and God will tie a bow on that situation that, that, that just perplexes you. Just wait and you'll get the closure in life that you desire. Because some of us have been around long enough to know that waiting sometimes is not enough. Sometimes life just goes on in an open-ended way. Things remain unresolved. And, and, and yet deep down, we, we often, we, we define for God how we want our stories to be written. And so we think, okay, so if I punch the clock here, 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 in these ways, then almost like it's a transaction and God will deliver in this, this, and this way. And God confounds us. God does not play by our rules. He does not feel the burden of meeting our expectations. He doesn't allow us to determine how his promises will be fulfilled. I hardly know how to tell you how, how painfully real this is for, for Kim and I. As, Two years ago, this month, we lost our 24-year-old daughter. Multi-year addiction that put us in parts of this broken world where, in a thousand years, I never dreamed we would inhabit. Dark places with, with desperate people, just became familiar to us, just became part of the backdrop of our, of our life. And we fought month after month, year after year to get her out. And now she's gone. And, and each morning we wake up greeting her son, Jace, who has now been entrusted to our care to raise him. Actually, just to bring you into the reality and the complexity and the the nuance of this, um, my challenge is Romans chapter 4, this passage that I'm preaching out of, this is the passage that I used to preach to myself. For years, I whispered this passage to myself in the middle of sleepless nights. And so, let me invite you into the reality of, of... of, of where we live sometimes, you know. What do I tell myself when I have a passage, a promise, and a daughter who's gone? How do we move forward without becoming angry, without becoming cynical, without becoming imprisoned by, by what I call the captivity of closure? That sense that if God were really God, if God really loves me, then he's going to bring closure to some situation here on earth in the way that I want it to find. And in the middle of all that, I, I saw, I found this interesting vision of faith that was described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, where after going through the catalog of her- heroes and <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says, these all died in faith not having received the things promised. These all died in faith, having not received the things promised. In other words, they died with unfulfilled promises. They died with unsatisfied hopes. They died with life open-ended. And somehow they were able to move forward in, in life without God delivering Delivery on all their prayers without God delivering on all their dreams and the fact that God didn't didn't demoralize them It didn't trigger some kind of grand deconstruction in their life of their faith his promises remained real. They were just unfulfilled They were going to be fulfilled in a different way in a different way than they knew in a different way than they expected the story was not written in the way they expected and I think I'm realizing just Ed, the older I get that part of my heart is always seeking to remake Earth into heaven. You know, heaven is the place where all of God's promises are ultimately satisfied. Everything is made whole if we just wait. But that's not, that's not planet Earth, not here, not right now. And so. We, we learn to trust God, even with what we don't know. And Abraham is being offered to us as the one who got faith right. In fact, Abraham has in his story an Ishmael, you know, it's, it says, it says in Galatians chapter 4 that Ishmael symbolizes the child of the flesh. Ishmael symbolizes that, that those places in your life where you say, you know what, God, okay, here's the deal. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to run off the field, but I get it. You hold all the cards. You don't give me any information, and yet I'm just supposed to live week in, week out, year in, year out, not knowing. I don't think so. I'm going to take action. I'm going to take leadership. I'm going to go out and make your will happen. See, Ishmaels are conceived when impatience marries unbelief. Ishmaels are the byproduct. And so uh, you you can't afford it, and you don't really need it, but we want it, and so we slap down a credit card and we buy it, and we 've been paying for it ever since it 's Ishmael with interest so this is Ishmael you know if, if this if you can relate to this at all, remember Abraham is not being offered to us as as the one in Scripture who always got faith right, but he is being offered as as the embodiment of the best kind of faith. And listen, Ishmael is embedded in his story. Ishmael is embedded in Abraham's story. So Abraham is not intended to be perfect. In fact, he exists in Scripture in part to point forward to the one who would come and is perfect, and it's because Jesus lived that perfect life, and Jesus died that substitutionary death, and Jesus rose on the third day, that he now has the authority and the power to redeem us, which means that, that the fleshly choices that you've made, the ones that you've been thinking about, even during this message, our fleshly choices, those places we didn't trust God, those places we didn't do it right, those places where we went out and birthed an Ishmael, they need no longer define us. They need no longer to define us. It means you can stop punishing yourself. It means that you don't need to spend years trying to atone for your mistakes. You can look to the atonement of another. So yeah, like, like Abraham, our Ishmaels may live on. but but they're written into this wonderful story that passes through the cross and redeems us despite our past, despite our sins, despite our mistakes, despite our failures, despite our Ishmaels. And and here's the thing, and I'm wrapping up right now. Abraham trusted this, and that's how he was able to grow strong in his faith, as he gave glory to God. And my prayer is that God would help us to become more convinced of this, that he can do that for us. May he help us to give glory to him right here and right now, not because our circumstances have changed, but because our faith has. Let's pray. Lord, we are all leaving this building. And returning to the same life that we had prior to today, prior to this meeting, prior to this message. And yet, Lord, we long to go back even though our circumstances remain unchanged. We long to go back having been transformed by you in our faith. So we pray you would accomplish that now and that you would go with us as we return.